The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, Heritage. So, all right, look at that. Delayed response, but awesome. Hey, I'm so pleased to be with you. Uh, I'm pitch hinting for uh, Pastor Jeff. He's away with his family, celebrating his mother-in-law's birthday. So uh, that's a wonderful family getaway for them. And for those of you who may or may not know me, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Heritage, and it's my pleasure to bring the Word of God this morning to you. Hey, uh, before we get started, there's a couple of quick announcements that I'd, I'd like to make, some things that you need to know about stuff going on here at Heritage. Now, throughout the year, uh, we, or throughout the school year, we gather typically on Wednesday nights as adults. The kids have a wana. And then the, the youth group, both junior high and high school, meet on Wednesday nights. But as summer gets here, it's time for Awana to be, sort of reset, give our volunteers a little bit of a break and rest, and then uh, provide opportunity for future planning. For the, Awana takes a lot of resource uh, to kind of keep, keep things running there. So uh, we take the summer off for our Wednesday nights, except for the first Wednesday of every month. So the first Wednesday of every month, we still get together for a time of worship and prayer and just celebration. Afterwards, it's a family thing. So there's, there's games that we get together and, and play games kind of uh, off in the field. And, and the, the gathering takes place at the hub. <clears throat> Last year, uh, for those of you who attended, maybe you'll remember we had uh, Sweet Tea Express. They came out and they catered and they had like barbecue goodness for everybody that was amazing this year sweet tea will be back towards the end of summer but at the first part of summer we've got curbside king which is a uh a food truck they do a fantastic job with like a thai peanut chicken thing that's like off the charts good so good my mouth's watering as i think about it it's really good so they're going to be here and uh the church is offsetting some of the costs on that so it'll be five dollars per person to be able to get dinner when you come and so we'll uh, we'll be doing that throughout the summer. So for those of you who want to save the dates on that, June 7th, July 5th, and August 2nd are our first Wednesday worship gatherings. And that's going to be a fantastic time of fellowship, worship, games, and, and uh, of course a wonderful treat. And we're going to treat the, the kids really good in that as well. Also, uh, perhaps you saw it on the way in, there's a, a table with two high school students sitting in the hallway. Uh, that is for a fundraiser for our Mexico missions trip. So this year we're taking the high school to Carmen Sedan. It's a handicapped orphanage in the northern part of Mexico, just, just barely south of Tecate. And uh, we're going to be staying there for a week, uh, taking care of kids and studying in the scriptures, far removed from society and anything uh, technological. We're going to lock all the phones away in a box, and it's going to be just a, a, a primitive time with Jesus. It should be amazing. Um, so if you want to help out, if you want to support, you have a heart to do that, we're fundraising. The way that we're doing that is that um, our students who are going to Mexico are basically volunteering themselves as your slaves up until that trip, uh, which means we can come and do yard work or knock out that fence you've been wanting to paint or clean gutters or whatever it is that you, you need for a donation um, towards our Mexico trip. Uh, so you can sign up for that after the service is over in the hallway. 
Also, for those of you who are in, interested in the veterans ministry, there was a barbecue that was scheduled for today, uh, but it was canceled because it was at Winston's house, and then he, he had a leaky pipe, and it uh, messed with his house. So <laughs> now he doesn't have a, a great place to be able to, to host people. So that's canceled for today. And last but certainly not least, in the fall, September 16th, ladies, write this down, mark this down, um, for his glory, sort of day women's retreat, where Craig and Stephanie Strom are going to be sharing their journey from death to life through trial and triumph, and how the Lord is strong and mighty. It's free. Uh, you can bring your own lunch or pre-order and purchase a $5 box lunch at the time that you register, and registration is open through September. So for those of you who are uh, wanting to hear about their journey and what God has taken them through, that's coming up in September, in the fall, and the summer. Uh, so be sure to hit that up. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. If you need a Bible, lift your hand up high, and we'll get one to you. We, it's our gift to you if uh, you don't have a Bible of your own. If you just need to borrow one, just, that's fine too. Just lift your hand up high, and, and we'll make sure you get one. As we approach the Word of God today, let's take just a moment to bow our hearts before the Lord and uh, to ready ourselves, to prepare ourselves to hear from Him. Amen? Father, as we come to Your Word, I am deeply aware of the fact that we all bring life with us. Um, for many that are here, just getting out of the house and getting here is, is a task uh, all on its own. And so knowing, Lord, that there are many things that are pulling at our attention, pulling at our hearts, pulling at our minds, would you create space for us to be still this morning, to listen for your voice, to hear your heart, God. Lord, I pray that even right now you would make us alive by the Holy Spirit. That you would build in us anticipation to hear your voice and to respond. Lord, stir us up that you might be glorified in our lives and exalted in your church. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sarcasm. It, it's actually a Neff family uh, love language. Uh, not everyone can hang with sarcasm. We thrive on it. <laughs> uh, and this, this becomes really particularly apparent uh, when, when you go through our text messages. If you could look through our family threads. And, and you see text messages back and forth between my wife and I or myself and my kids or, or my wife and my kids. Um, they're a long string of, of GIFs. What, you guys know what GIFs are? They're like moving pictures um, and, and memes. For those of you who don't know what memes are, memes are a picture with some sort of a phrase underneath that encapsulates the picture. It's, it's usually funny, usually sarcastic in some way. And, and humorous in some nature. So we make fun of each other in that way because we love each other. 
Uh, we're constantly making each other giggle with digital media that, that highlights really just the, sinly, the silliness, silliness uh, of life and of, and of being human. Now, within the world of memes, you guys may know this, maybe you don't know this, there are several pictures that oftentimes get different phrases, right? And then sometimes it's reversed. Sometimes it's a particular phrase that gets used over and over and over again, uh, but with different pictures, right? So in that world or in that genre, there's a set of memes that use the phrase, you're doing it wrong over and over. Now, be careful, I should just say, be careful what you Google there. (laughs) That's a disclaimer. Not all of the the memes that you might encounter are family-friendly, but these these memes usually depict people that are making major mistakes at everyday tasks. For instance, the mohawk, right? You're doing it wrong. I don't know if you'll be able to see this one, but earplugs. She's, she's got them in her nose. You're, you're doing it wrong. How about boating? <laughs> yeah, you're definitely doing that wrong. Uh, for those of you who'd like to know how Pastor Jeremy skateboards, skateboard. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. That looks like that's going to really leave a mark. You know, these memes generally capture something uh, that's kind of humorous. And and they they point out that maybe you have the wrong idea about something in a humorous way. For instance, maybe mustaches, right? (laughs) Maybe those guys didn't get the memo of how that actually works. I hope that there's a class somewhere that's being offered that they can take. Uh, But they are definitely doing the mustache wrong. Okay? Today in our passage in Isaiah, if there was a way to encapsulate the truth of of, of what this passage is trying to communicate to us, it, it could probably be summed up in some sort of a meme that says something to the effect of, worship, you're doing it, but you're doing it wrong. Worship, you're doing it, but you're doing it wrong. Now the prophet Isaiah lived during the decline of Israel in the shadow of the Assyrian Empire. And at this time in history, God used the prophet Isaiah to warn Israel that judgment for their sin was coming soon. And that God would still keep his covenant promises in the midst of him judging their sin. And that one day, God would deliver his people from the penalty, from the power, and from the presence of sin for all of eternity. So the book of Isaiah opens up then with one of the heaviest passages in the entire Bible for God's people. So we're going to focus on verses 10 through 20, but to to get a little bit of context, let's back up to verse 2 and kind of read through what the prophet is saying here. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2. Hear, 
O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Now the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They, They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire in your very presence. Foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. And I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient 
You shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As we read through this passage, you can feel the weight of God's heart here. Now, to Israel, it would have been confusing. Wait, wait a minute, you're, you're mad at us? We're, we're doing all the stuff you said for us to do. You don't like our sacrifices, you don't like our holy days, you don't, you don't like our prayers, you, you, don't, you don't like what we're doing? We come to your house, you, you don't like that we're in your house? These are things, God, that you told us to do. We do them because of the commandment of your word. And that, you're, you're mad at us for that? You're burdened by that? What, what is going on here? You see, there was something about not the fact that they were doing it, but the fact that they were doing it wrong. That it was no longer something that God received as, as a blessing, but in fact it was a burden to him. I mean, if we go through the list, think about it. The sacrifices. Why, why did they offer sacrifices? Why did they do that in the first place? They did that because God told them to. They thought God, God wants bulls and, and, and goats and, and, and rams and, and, and lambs. I mean, that, that's what he's after. He, he wrote it down for us. The gathering to his house. I mean, he built holy days into our calendar year. Those are things that he said. We're doing everything that he said. But something about the way in which we're doing it is not only not received, it's offensive to him. And the judgment that is coming upon us as a nation is the result not of the fact that we don't gather, but is the result of the fact of the way in which we gather. So the prophet's primary responsibility was to communicate the words of God to the people of God. Now this role contrasts with that of priest. The priest was responsible for communicating with God on behalf of the people through ritual and through sacrifice. And as we back up in the passage, we, we look at the way in which God is describing Jerusalem in particular. We say, hey, he says, you, you guys don't even know me, verses 2 and 3. You're like children who have rebelled. You're, you, the ox knows its owner, right? The donkey knows its master's crib, but Israel does not know meek. People, my people, do not understand. And when he describes them, he describes them like, like a booth in a vineyard in verse 8. Like a booth in a vineyard. This is, this is imagery being used to talk about the desolation of their country. You see, whenever they would have a vineyard or a cucumber field, 
a crop, well, when, when the fruit had become ripe and, and was time to be harvested, animals would come in and want to eat it too. So they would build a booth, a temporary dwelling place, a temporary shelter in the middle of that crop, in the middle of that garden, and they would protect their crop by their presence there, by being there. And he says it's like there's nothing left to pick. The booth is there, but it's abandoned. And you guys sit in a land of desolation where everything that's good has been taken away. And there you sit. This metaphor suggests that Jerusalem and the surrounding area were so devastated that there was nothing left worth guarding. Temporary huts in that time were used to guard the ripened fields until the harvest could be completed. And after the harvest, the huts were abandoned in the then empty fields and vineyards, and God is saying, your fruitfulness is gone. Your land is devastated. And in the midst of this, the prophet Isaiah then drops into four categories of condemnation for Israel in their worship. God condemns, first of all, their sacrifices, for those of you who are note-takers. He condemns their sacrifices. Second of all, their sanctuary. God condemns their sanctuary. Thirdly, their sacred days. So their sacrifices, their sanctuary, their sacred days, and lastly, their supplications, their prayers. So let's take a look at each one of these, the sacrifices. Now, Leviticus chapter 1 through uh, chapter 7 give detailed instructions for many different types of sacrifices uh, that were used as, as burnt offerings, as peace offerings, as sin offering, guilt offering. Now, these sacrifices were intended to remind the people of their own sinfulness, of their own need for atonement. As a matter of fact, the sacrificial system points all the way back to the very first sacrifice in human history. You guys remember what that was? After the Garden of Eden, what did God do? He killed a lamb and clothed the nakedness of Adam and Eve with the sacrifice of an animal's life. Now, again, that's pointing forward to the cross and to Christ, but as they, from their perspective, they're looking back to what God did, right? And covering his people and caring for them. So it was, it was given to remind the people of their own sinfulness and their need for atonement. And it culminated in the annual rituals that were focused specifically on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 34, kind of uh, gives us the full description of what the Day of Atonement looked like. The substitution of an animal whose blood would atone for their sins was ineffective, though, if the people were not sincere in their repentance. In other words, you could go through all of those motions— You could do Leviticus 1 through 7. You could do Leviticus 16. But do you remember that even if the priest sacrifices, right? And he's about to enter into the holiest of holies. If there is some sin that he's not actually repentant for, what happens to him when he goes behind that curtain? Does anybody know? He's dead, right? So it wasn't just about the sacrifice. It was about the intent of the heart behind the sacrifice. You tracking with me? 
So in each sacrifice, then, the worshiper identifies with the sacrifice and acknowledges in their heart the worth and the value of the one that they would sacrifice to. So the burnt offering, then, is the first and it's the most important of the offerings described in the laws of Leviticus. The Hebrew word for the offering, olah, means ascending, since the offering was supposed to uh, be entirely burnt up on the altar. The name likely refers to the smoke that would rise up from the altar and ascend up into the heavens. Yahweh would then smell the smoke as a pleasing aroma, Leviticus chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, and the significance of this offering was that it was, that it was a gift that was to be totally devoted to the Lord. So the burnt offering, different from the other offerings, the other offerings, the, the priesthood could take a portion of that. Some of the offerings, the person who was, was giving the offering would take a, per- a portion of that for themselves and, and partake in that. Okay? But the burnt offering was unique in that it was wholly dedicated to the Lord. Every piece of it was offered to God. It's like a barbecue with the Lord. It was, it was a, a way of giving and ascribing worth to how great he is. Now, think about this. In the, in the sacrificial system, the goal is what? The offering, not of animals, but the offering of the heart, right? So the way that this would work is that people would look in those days, they would say, okay, um, what, what are the things that have the most value to me? There's, there's property and cash crops and, and, and my livestock, right? Those were kind of the main, the main things. And so they would take then the prize, the very best, the, 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 the lamb without blemish, the bull that was perfect, the goat that was flawless. They would bring it into the temple and they would say, you, God, are worth all of this. You're so much better than anything that I have ever been given by you. You are of surpassing worth and value. And so, God, here, take it all. Take all of it. You're worth it. But by the time the the prophet Isaiah writes these words and pens this, people are going through the motions of offering because they think that's what God wants but not because they think that's what he's worth. So God comes and says, I, I just can't. I, I, I can't. I'm not a beggar. You ever felt that? You ever had a relationship where you had to beg for somebody's love? Is that love? Is that affection? Is that worth? Do they see you as supremely worthy if you're having to beg for it? No, and God says, I'm not a beggar either. I don't want your duty. I want your heart. That's what I'm after. And so, the prophet Isaiah condemns their sacrifices Because although they were offering sacrifices, their heart was far from the Lord. He condemns not only their sacrifices, but their sanctuary. 
chapter 1, verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Okay, so that phrase, the, the trampling of my courts. Can you hear the negativity in there? Why are you trampling in my house? I can remember my mom saying things like that to, when, to us when we were kids, right? Why are you trampling through here? Right? That meant like we probably had mud on our shoes and she had just cleaned something and now we were making messy what she, you know, it's like, why are you doing that? It was a total offense to her. God is saying the same thing. I'm, I'm totally offended by your presence in my house. Now, ironically, the people of Judah believed that God required the elaborate sacrificial system and the gathering of God's people. And the comment here seems to indicate the lack of respect being given to the temple as Yahweh's house. Especially since the trampling of sacrificial animals may have actually included sacrifices for other idols that were being worshipped in the house of the Lord. In Yahweh's temple. 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 4 indicates that idol worship was taking place in Jerusalem in the temple at that time. So here's, here's the way it would work. People would come in. And they thought this is like a give and get system. Right? They go, okay, uh, what God wants is he wants stuff from me. And then if I give God what he wants, he gets the stuff that, that he wants. Then he owes me in some way and I get what I want. Right? So I bring him a lamb. He gives me a blessing. That's how that works. They go, okay, well, there's God, but there's lots of different types of blessings that I want. You know, one of the blessings I want is a good crop. So I'll offer something to God, and then I'll come right over here, and I'll offer something to another God so that I can get a cash crop. Oh, and I want my children to be safe. So I'm going to offer something to another God to keep my children safe. And oh, we're in a country that's being besieged right now. I need a God of war. So they would offer to another God who was a God of war. And God is like, what are you doing in my house? How can you do this? There is no other God besides me. There is none. And I am not competing. I'm not competing. You have all these other gods in your heart. You have all these competing desires that are in your heart. And so when you come into my house and you're like, I seek you, Lord. I want you, Lord. You're supreme. You're amazing. Oh, yeah, and I want riches. And and, uh, these are amazing. And, oh, God, I want blessing and a nice, comfortable life. And I want to die in my sleep while having a good dream. And, 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 oh, God, I, I want my kids to be... Listen. God's like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. I'm God. I'm God. And I'm not competing with any other thing on the throne of your heart and life and kingdom. There is one seat to be occupied by one king. That is it. So what does he say to his people? He says, you are trampling my sanctuary. So he condemns their sacrifices, their sanctuary, and their sacred days. Holidays. Uh, Holidays are funny. 
When I, when I was a kid, I think I was oblivious to the, the inner workings of how family actually operated. I think I just grew up thinking it was normal. But then when I got older and all of a sudden you find out that the holidays are a war zone. It's like a, like a four-hour mental chess match, right? Or emotional chess match. You're like, okay, I don't want to talk to that family member because they're going to suck the life and energy out of me. And, you know, I've... I'm going to not talk about this family member because they're the black sheep of the family. And we can't talk about politics because that's going to end up in a discussion. And, you know, you're just like, boom, 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 okay, ha, ha, you know. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, holidays being joyful. But as I've become an adult, sometimes you have that feeling of like, oh, it's that season again right? We need to plan ahead and, okay, let's have a game plan here. Remember, we're going to leave by 8 o'clock and, you know, you guys know how that happens? You guys are laughing because you know. (laughs) You see, when God has established the calendar year, the religious calendar year for the people of Israel, that was used for the convocation of his people, the the gathering of his people. These holy days were, were a way to demonstrate to God's people that in every season of, of life, every season of time, God is to be worshiped and acknowledged. They were to worship him for what he had done for what he is doing, and for what he will do. And so the, the feasts and the festivals were set up that way. There was, there was, first of all, a weekly reminder, one day out of the week, where you would gather together, and, and you, you would worship God. You would set apart that day as a day of resting and remembering that God is ultimately my provider, that God is ultimately in control, and he alone is worthy of my time, energy, and effort. And that I can rest in his love for me. Weekly, there was that reminder. Every month, there was a new moon. It was that, that reminder, God is here and he's with me. And, and through the passage of time, he's consistent and he's always there. And then there were the feasts and the celebrations. And sometimes they would commemorate something that God had done in the past. Like their deliverance at Passover time from the land of Egypt and from slavery and being made free and brought into the land that God had promised. And, and sometimes it wasn't something from the past, it was something that was presently happening, like, like the harvest of wheat or the harvest of barley. And they would, they would celebrate those things that God is doing. And other times, like the Feast of Trumpets, were anticipatory of a time in which God will righteously judge the earth. A time when God is, is going to spread out his kingdom through the whole earth and redeem all that has been broken. These sacred days were built into the rhythm of life so that day in and day out and week after week and month after month and year after year, you would know that all of time belongs to God. But by the time the prophet Isaiah speaks here, that's not what they were. Well, people gathered. They got together. They celebrated. 
But much like Christmas and Easter can be here in our country, the meaning of those moments, the sacredness of those days was lost and gone. So God condemns their sacred days. And he also condemns their supplications. Notice here in verse 15, and when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. How am I going to respond? I will not listen. Now, think about this. The whole idea of prayer. I mean, I mean think about Jesus' passion for his people to pray. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment in Matthew chapter 21? Jesus comes into the house of the Lord, to his father's house, and he sees that there are people there that are buying and selling in the courts of the temple. And they're exchanging money and they're ripping people off. They had turned it into a marketplace. He looks around and Jesus, our our peace-loving hippie savior, who travels around healing the sick, loving the poor, opening blind eyes, raising the dead, touching the leper. Jesus comes in, this gentle lamb, all of a sudden becomes a lion. And he's over in the corner, and he's braiding a whip. Handmade. And the fire in him is just growing. And all of a sudden, he straightens out the whip, gives a little practice crack, and then Boom! The table goes flying and coins go flying and he's ripping apart fences and animals are being turned loose. And he's screaming at people and he's kicking men that are wearing dresses. And he says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer and I am so bent out of shape at that I am so vehement with anger at that that I just made this homemade whip and you step into line with me and you're going to come into contact with it now listen the same God who made the whip on that day is the same God who pens these sad words right here I am so weary with you that I don't even want you to talk to me. You offer up prayers. I won't listen. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna take it in. I won't respond. Look at verse 14 when he's talking about the the festival there. Did, did, did you catch that phrase right at the end of verse 14? It says, your new moon, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. 
I am weary of bearing them. You guys, you guys remember the other verses in the Bible that talk about how God cannot be exhausted. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He never grows weary. He never grows tired. You guys remember those verses? Right here, God says, I am tired. I am worn out. Why? Because of all this. The gathering of my people. The sacrifices that are being offered. The the new moons and the feasts and the Sabbaths and the holy days and the, the prayers that are ascending that don't come from the heart of my people. I am so worn out with it. I'm so sick of it. Hey guys. You know this, this can happen here? It can happen right here in this context, in this place. It was about three or four weeks ago. Jeff was teaching and I'm in the back and I'm sitting in the, in the chair there and I've got my Bible open, I've got my phone out, I've got a pen, a pencil in my hand and, and, and I'm listening. And I'd stayed up a little bit too late on Saturday night, you know, so I was kind of tired. And, and I'm going to hear his message twice, so I'm just sitting there. And as I'm sitting there, I, I'm like starting to doze, right? I'm like, oh, wake up, wake up. I'm, what happens if somebody sees their pastor sleeping in the back? <laughs> what kind of church is this? Snap out of it, you know. You don't want to be that guy. So I kind of shake it off, but I, it kind of keeps coming back. You know, you know that feeling where it kind of just, you're like, okay, I'm, okay. Uh. So finally, I'm like, hey, I, I got to stand up. So I go over to the corner to the, the purple bleachers over there, and I, I stand up, and I put my Bible out on the corner of the bleachers, and I'm like, okay, stay awake, be tuned in. And, was, and I'm there, and, and then all of a sudden, my, my phone goes off, and it's a social media notification. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'll just check. I'll just see, you know. I'm meandering. Next thing you know, Jeff is like to his prayer. I keep having to remind myself, oh, that's right, come back to the, come back to the scriptures, come back to the word of God. And, you know, here's the problem. I'm in the right place. Bible open. Doing the right things. But my heart, is far from the Lord. Far from it. I'm in the sanctuary on this sacred day. Prayers are being offered and words are being muttered, but they don't come from me. Songs are ascending and sacrifices are being made, but I don't own any part of it. The word of God is being proclaimed and being taught, but I'm not listening. I'm here, but my heart is far from him. You know, and I was so deep into it that actually I didn't even realize on Sunday that it was like that. On Monday, though, I opened up for devotions and I was in Isaiah 1. And God began to speak to me And say to me, Jeremy, did you know that this is the reason I judged my people? I brought judgment against Israel for the very same things that you are doing. You're just going through the motions. 
I love what Pastor Brent says. He's got a, a favorite saying of mine. He says that a, a rut is just a coffin with the ends kicked out. That's a good way to describe that. So here's the question, guys. Here's what, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what we need to wrestle with this morning. How do we keep our heart alive? How do we keep it alive? How do we do that when week after week after week we come to this place and, and, and you guys know what's going to happen. You know the expectation, right? We all have liturgy. We all have this, this, this routine that we go through. So we walk in and it's like, okay, I know that guy. Hey, how are you doing? I sit over here in the same exact place I always sit because this is my spot and whether anybody knows it, I own this space. And then I, I, I come in and I, I sit down, I'm waiting, okay, the, it, it's going to start one of two ways. It's going to start either with Sam, you know, belting out a song, or we're going to start with some sort of a prayer, and then music is going to come. Then music will happen, there will be a moment with tithe, there will be a uh, possibility of communion, and there will be, uh, you know, a, an ending prayer somewhere there, and then uh, quick announcements of, of up-and-coming things at Heritage, and then a, another brief prayer, and then after that will be the teaching, and then after the teaching, another prayer, and then after that, maybe a song or two, unless Jeff is going long, in which case he'll be rushing us out the door saying, you know, move on out of here, right? <laughs> How do we keep our hearts alive when we gather? Here's the answer. It's the disciplines of honesty. It's the disciplines of honesty. Honesty in the disciplines of the church. First of all, you have to have honesty in preparation. What does life look like outside of the gathering of God's people for you? What does it look like? Are you seeking the Lord? Is this your life? Or is this just a Sunday routine? Is this just a rut with the ends kicked out? You see, what we get from our time together really has largely to do with what happens before we ever even get here. So I'm going to give you some practical advice on, on how to keep your heart alive. But this is not like a list of commands to do, okay? This is a mindset in seeking the Lord. It's about where your heart is at. And so you prepare your heart before we gather. You prepare your heart before we gather. This may mean reading in advance. Okay, I know Jeff's teaching in Colossians. We're in the last chapter, so I want to read that in advance, and I, I want to think through it on my own. I'll come through with what is the passage actually saying, and then, and then when Jeff gets up here and teaches, I want to hear how it is that he's bringing the Word of God to bear in the lives of God's people. And I want to be anticipating the ways in which my, my shepherd, my pastor, the one that God has given us to, to proclaim the word week after week, I want to anticipate how is it that he's going to take the word of God and apply it to life for me or for our church or our context. So prepare your heart before we gather. Be in the word outside of this. 
Man, I, I can't tell you how many times somebody's coming up to me after a service and said, Pastor, that was amazing. God was totally speaking to my heart. And then they'll begin to share. And it had nothing to do with the sermon I was preaching. I'm like, that wasn't even the point. Well, see, here was, here's what's happening. Outside of that, they're seeking the Lord and they've got things that they've been hearing from God and the Holy Spirit has been nudging them in devotion and in, in quiet times and in a, a car song, you know, a time of prayer or a song that comes on the radio or, or a conversation that they had with a friend and, and all of a sudden it looks like I'm some sort of clairvoyant up here, right? And I'd be like... We were just talking about that last night. And then I heard this song on the radio that said that. And then, and then this happened. And, and then on the way to church, we had this conversation about it. And then when we got here, you taught the scriptures. And it was the exact things that we had been saying. I'm like, that is the voice of the Lord. You see, so much of what God is doing in the sanctuary is confirming, listen, confirming what he's doing in regular life as we relate to him and talk to him and listen for his voice. So in honesty, are you prepared? Are you listening? Are you anticipating? Here's another one. This is what I realized about myself. I wasn't approaching the word of God with faith. You guys remember what it said about Jesus? When he went to his hometown, he could do no miracles there? Why? They didn't believe. And when I come to God's house and I don't expect him to speak, guess what? He meets me there. But when I come and I'm like, Lord, you're here among your people. And maybe you're going to use Jeff today. And maybe you're not going to use Jeff. Maybe you're going to use this brother over here or this sister over here. Maybe you're going to use me today. Maybe I'm the one you're going to use. But Lord, speak. I'm anticipating that you're going to do that. I'm living and approaching you in faith. Here's another one. James says, you have not because you what? Because you ask not. Have you asked God? Before you came here today, did you say, Lord, I want to hear your voice speak to me. So honesty in preparation. Honesty in convocation. In the gathering of God's people that we call church, it's important for us to make a, a major distinction, okay? The church is not a place, it's a people. God's people are where we pour ourselves out and where we receive from God. It is not a sanctuary, it's not a setting, it's not a location. This is not the holy room. This is a gymnasium with a bird flying around in it. Okay? That's what this is. You know what makes it holy? The presence of God among his people. That's what makes it holy. And in the gathering of God's people, I'm expecting that God could speak either to me or through me. And I'm listening, not just for the voice of God through Pastor Jeff or Pastor Jeremy or whoever, 
but I'm listening all around me because God is working and moving in his people. It happens in conversations outside in the hall. It happens in lunches after. It happens in the times where God's people get together from house to house and they meet with each other and they share their gifts with one another. If all you do is come to service, if that is the only time you gather with God's people, you are missing out on the, on the multitude of ways in which God speaks to and through you. So honesty and convocation, it's not a place we go, it's a people we are. Here's another one, honesty and convocation. When we gather, are you ready? Did you bring the tools? Did you bring the tools? Did you, did you bring this book right here? Are you ready to listen and open and search and read and underline and highlight? Here's what I want. Here's what I want. You ready? This is my dream for heritage. I dream of a church that is so rooted and grounded in the word of God and people that are so passionate about it that their Bibles are just flat worn out, that they're marked up and highlighted and circled and starred and that when we all die, when we pass away, this generation of people right here, we hand off these Bibles to our kids and to our grandkids and there's a lifetime of legacy, of evidence that we were listening for the voice of God, that we were tuned in to hear him, that we were intent upon his word. That's what I dream about. Did you bring a Bible? Did you bring a notebook? How do we have the Bible? Anybody know? God spoke, people wrote it down. They said, if God's talking, I better get it right. Are you expecting God to speak? You're anticipating his word, but you might want to come back to that if you're expecting that the God of the universe is going to speak to you. You might want to come back to that and go, man, I wrote that down. That was for me. I need to chew on that. Lord, show me. Bring that reality into my heart. Let it bear fruit in my life. Let it be that way. So bring the tools. Honesty and convocation. Honesty and contemplation. Here's one of the biggest mistakes that we make as a church is we listen for other people. Go, oh, okay, I'm writing stuff down so that I can share it with somebody else. No, run it through your own heart. Listen. Lord, what does this mean for me? How's this affecting me? God, my, my heart is being stirred right now. What, what are you saying to me? You're, you're, you're talking to him. You're listening. You're processing. God, this, right now, I know you're speaking to your people, but I'm listening for me. And I want to run it through my heart first. So honesty and contemplation. Lastly, honesty and conversation. This means all throughout our time together, guys, we have to actually pray. You know what that looks like? That looks like I, I'm talking right now. And hopefully what's happening out here among, among you guys is this internal dialogue with Jesus. It's like, oh, Lord, I hear that. Thank you for that truth. Oh, God, thank you so much that you are, you're pinpointing that thing in my life. Just, just change it, God. Lord, I need mercy in that way. Lord, forgive me for this. And we're, we're conversing with God in the gathering of God's people. We have to actually pray. We have to actually sing. Sam can do it for us, but that's not worship. Worship is when we give our own heart. We have to actually confess. 
When God shows you something, you go, oh yeah, that's not me. That doesn't align. That's in God's word, but it doesn't align with my life. What do you do with that? You just go, oh, okay, well. No. You take it to Jesus, man. You take it to Jesus. You go, God, this is, this is wrong in me. Your word just exposed that. It's wrong. I agree with you. Change me. You have to actually praise. Praise is exalting God for who he is. We have to actually repent. We have to actually obey. We're, we're not content to be like people who wake up in the morning, they walk into the bathroom, they see the mirror right there, and they're like, man, they got like eye boogers and like, you know, crusty little drool marks off the side of their face, and their hair's slicked this way, and they go, dang, I'm a wreck. Oh, well. No, listen, we have to be the kind of people that when we come face to face with the mirror of God's word and it tells us who we are, it exposes who we are. We go, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Change my ways. Give me power and strength to be different. Wipe the drool from my face and the boogers from my eyes and fix what's wrong with me. Because I'm not content to live this way any longer. I'm at war with my sin. So what was God's solution for Israel's worship problem? I'm going to invite Sam and the guys to come out as we wrap this up. What was God's solution? God's solution for Israel's sacrificial system was to change the sacrifice said, look, I'm not after the blood of bulls and goats. I'm after your heart. That's what I'm after. How can I capture your heart? I'm going to demonstrate to you that I love you first. I'm going to do it through the death of my son. And John the Baptist cried out as he looked up and saw Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was God's solution for the calendar of holidays that was not being honored by the people? What did he do? He said, I'm going to purchase for you eternal life. Okay? Eternal life. So that no matter where you are, what season of life, no matter where you break bread, you can turn to me and give thanks You can say God doesn't just get specific holy days, but every day is holy. All of life belongs to him. Every single bit of it, it's all his. From now into eternity, it belongs to him. And when the sun is passed away, and there's not even a way to keep record of time anymore, the glory of God is my daily bread. What was God's solution for the Sabbath? It was to give us not a temporary rest one day a week, but to give us an eternal rest, to give us a Sabbath life, a ceasing from our labors forever that we might enter into the rest provided for us through Jesus Christ. What was God's solution for the trampling of his court? It was to send his son to purge the marketplace, to make it a house of prayer. To replace the high priest so that the temperament of the nation no longer fluctuates. And that we might have a high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. 
What was God's solution to Israel's worship problem? It was not to change the worship. Not to change the worship. It's not that we have to mix everything up and do everything different. It was to change the worshiper through the Holy Spirit so that out of the worshiper's innermost being would flow torrents of living water, that out of their life would flow fruits of the Holy Spirit, that out of their mouth would flow the gospel of peace, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished, that there would be prayers without ceasing, that there would be worship that ascends, that honors the heart, that honors God from the heart, and not just the lips. His solution is that through his son, he would build a kingdom with a king who always leads his kingdom like a chief shepherd. He leads them in worship. He leads them back unto himself and in looking at the life that Jesus offered to his father and then him imparting to us the same spirit that was in him we now partner with Jesus in offering our lives as a sacrifice of worship to him let's pray Lord we have opportunity right now as we sing, as we lift up praises, as we, as we worship you, God, grab a hold of our attention by your spirit. Stir up faith in us. God, help us to own the words that we sing, to be prayerful throughout worship. Lord, help us now in this moment, in the quiet of the music, to respond to your word. If you've pinpointed things, this is a time of repentance, God. If there's things that you're confirming, this is a time to receive your strength and to, to know that your direction is sure. God, would you speak to your people and draw them unto yourself? That for your glory, we might be the kingdom that you purchased. In Jesus' name.